You know, I think most of us are aware that we live in an incredibly dangerous society. It seems like no place in our society is safe anymore. Our homes aren't safe, our schools aren't safe, the mall's not safe, sporting events aren't safe, airports aren't safe, churches aren't safe. In fact, we go out of our way because it's so dangerous to protect ourselves. We, we get alarm systems for our homes. Many of us have them in our cars. A lot of you have concealed carry permits. We put bars on windows. We take self-defense classes. Some of you ladies, I have to be really careful what I say in my messages because I know you have mace in your purse and I don't know how far you can reach with that thing, right? But as a result of that, we take these precautions because we know that there are people out there who would love nothing more than to harm us. But what if I told you that there was somebody out there, you've never seen them, but they've been assigned to your life to just wear you out. In fact, they've been assigned to your life to destroy you. My guess is the next question would be, Mike, please tell me, who is it, right? Is it the boogeyman? Is it the dark side? You know, is it the IRS? Mike, who is it that's out to get me? They just wanna wear me out. Well, the Bible calls this person Satan. Sometimes he's referred to as Lucifer. Other times he's called the devil. And I'm telling you, as Christians, whether you realize it or not, we are in the fight of our lives. We are in the ultimate battle of good versus evil. And this new series we're launching this weekend, we're launching to be, prepare us to be prepared uh, for that battle that we're gonna face every day of our lives. Now, I wanna begin the series this weekend by addressing some questions like how did this Satan, how, how did this battle begin? Where did Satan come from? Uh, and to answer these questions, we have to understand his background a little bit. So what is Satan's background? How did this whole conflict begin? Well, it began a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. See, I just pulled in all of you, you know, Star Wars nerds, right? But it began a long, long time ago. And then this place in eternity passed. You got to understand Satan wasn't a bad guy. Satan was actually a good guy. Satan was an angel. He was one of the guys with the white head. In fact, his name really wasn't Satan. At this time, his name was Lucifer. In the Hebrew, it means star of the morning. I mean, how scary does that sound? That doesn't sound scary at all. And if you do a little bit of study on Satan, and you'll have to do this on your own, we'd have time to cover all this. He was the strongest of all the angels. He was a very attractive angel. He was a worship leader in heaven. I'm sure he spent his time just like any other angel, worshiping God, carrying out God's purposes. But over time, Lucifer got a little full of himself. He gathered together a band of angels and he attempted an angelic coup. Lucifer attempted to overthrow God and as a result, God punished him because of his arrogance. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13. God says this, you, and he's talking to Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. By the way, that was, a, that was a mountain that because of its height, it was seen as a very strategic uh, place, a, very, a, a place of strength. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Arrogance. And as a result, God cast him down to earth. Jesus mentioned this in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he was cast out of heaven. When he was cast out of heaven, his name was changed from Lucifer to Satan. It basically means one who plots against another. How appropriate, he had plotted against God. Now he spends his time plotting against us. Revelation 12 tells us that also when he was thrown out of heaven, that he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. The angels that plotted with him against God, they went with him. But you gotta understand, the moment that Satan was cast out of heaven, a war began between Satan and all mankind. 
Now, I've had people say to me over the years, you know, I've really been under Satan's attack this week. You ever said that? You ever felt that? And I understand what, I understand what you're saying. It's probably not the case because you're probably, you're probably not important enough to get Satan's personal attention, right? And I say that because you got to understand Satan is a created being. And since he is a created being, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. Only the Godhead is omnipresent. Only God can be everywhere at the same time. Satan can't do that. And since that's the case, it brings up the question, how does Satan have such a widespread influence in our world if he can only be one place at one time? Well, we saw the answer just a minute ago. It's because Satan has working alongside of him a whole lot of demons. Now, we don't know how many. We know that a third of the angels fell with him, but these demons, these fallen angels, they carry out Satan's command under his influence. So it's probably, we probably haven't been under an actual attack by Satan. But you know what, what we're gonna learn in this series, it is very, very possible that we've been under an attack of a demon. And since that's the case, that's where we're gonna focus most, most of our attention in this new series that we're calling uh, battle tested. And I just want to, before I even get into it, let me say a couple of things. One, I have never, ever on a weekend taught this. And I'm really, really glad I'm teaching it because I've had so many people telling me I've been in church 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I have never, ever heard this topic addressed. So when I read the Bible, especially the New Testament, the gospels, and it talks about these things, I just ignore them because I don't want to ask questions. I don't know what they're talking about. So let me just say that. Here's the other thing. Satan is going to do everything possible to prevent you from hearing what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. I can promise you that. But let me tell you why I think it's so important that you show up. It's because, see, Satan doesn't want to get exposed. Satan's kind of like Rodney Dangerfield. He gets no respect. Nobody really takes him seriously anymore, so he kind of flies under the radar. And as a result, many of you sitting here this weekend, you may be under Satan's influence in your life, and you don't even realize it. In fact, there's a lot of you sitting right here, here right now because you're Christians, you automatically assume this isn't for you. You don't need this stuff, that you are immune from Satan or his demons having any power or influence over you. But you're going to discover in this series rather rapidly, that's just not the case. That's not true. Now, if you remember back to the fall, we went through a series we called Taking Flight. It was a series about spiritual transformation, how God changes our lives from the inside out. And in that series, we focused on something in John chapter 8. By the way, this is where the idea from this series came from. It's from something that we looked at in John chapter 8 uh, about transformation. By the way, let me just say something. I have declared 2018 for Hope Community Church the year of freedom. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about areas that we're bound up, that we're in bondage, that we can be set free. We don't have to live that way. So we're going to be talking about that. And to kick it off, coming January the 25th, we're going to have a men's conference. We're bringing everybody together, all the men together at the Raleigh campus. It's $20. It's called, it's about being free. It includes dinner, Big Mike's barbecue. I mean, if men are going to get together, you got to have barbecue, right? It goes from five o'clock to 8.45. There's four breakout sessions. I'm going to be teaching the main session about living a life of freedom. So we're going to get into this this year, but let's go back to John chapter eight. Let me just set it up for you. You may remember Jesus had just finished teaching and there were some Jews in the crowd that day that were listening to him. After listening to him teach, they came to the conclusion that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be, that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the savior who could take away the sins of the world. And they decided to become followers of Jesus. They decided to become disciples. And now when Jesus finishes teaching, he turns his attention to these new Jewish followers and he makes this statement that we became 
became very familiar with during our Taking Flight series, John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then we talked about this next part a lot. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But that's where we ended our series. However, I want you to notice their response in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Have you ever studied the Jews' history? They had been slaves to everyone, right? They said, we've never been slaves to anyone. They had been slaves to everyone. We've seen the movie. We know that they spent 430 years in bondage, in slavery in Egypt. They were slaves in Babylon. They were slaves to the Chaldeans. Even now they're living under Roman rule. They said, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now I want you to notice Jesus' response in verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave, your Bible may say is in bondage to sin. Everyone who sins. Now let me ask you a question. Raise your, raise your hand. Do you sin? Raise your hand if you sin. Okay, if you don't have your, hold them up. If you don't have your hand up, put it up because you just lied. Okay, now we, we're all in the same boat, people. We are all sinners. If we're Christians, we're just sinners that have been saved by God's grace. We all sin. But the good news is in the last part of in verse 36, it says this. If the son sets you free, if he sets you free from your sin, if he sets you free from your bondage, you will be free indeed. Now, let me just say there are two groups of people that Satan absolutely loves. You know who they are? The skeptics and the superstitious. There are some people, when you talk about this topic, you know, there's a demon behind every bush. They would fall into the category of the superstitious. And then there are people who don't believe that any of this is real, that demons don't exist today. You fall into the category of skeptics. I, I, Satan loves both groups because I got to tell you, both groups are deceived. And I'm confident we have both of those groups represented at all of our campuses here this weekend. See, right now, some of you are thinking, why are we even talking about this? Why are we discussing this on the weekend? Mike, it's 2018. I don't know if you checked lately. And we're so enlightened and we're so smart. We don't really buy into this supernatural stuff. And then there's some of you are thinking, wow, we've been waiting for Mike to get deep. Now we're really getting to the good stuff, right? Let me just say, if either one of those groups describe you, you need to move to the center. You need to get some balance. We're not skeptics, but at the same time, we're not superstitious. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid, afraid of Satan and his demons. But you know what? We don't deny their existence either. What we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, you got to understand, this is Real. Now, here's the good news, in case you have to leave early. Here's the good news. Jesus came to set us free. But you will never get free if you don't realize that you can be in bondage and that you need to be set free. Let me kind of explain it this way. Every one of us have struggles. We have all kinds of issues in our life, all kinds of baggage when we come into our relationship with God. Sometimes our struggles are just weaknesses that we need to be discipled through. We talked about that in our Taking Flight series. Our lives are transformed by how? The renewing of our minds. We have to identify the lies that we've believed for years, the lies that we have lived our life by, the lies that have shaped our lives. We have to remove those lies and we have to replace them with the truth of God's word. Our life is transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's what we call discipleship. We refer to that as discipleship. But sometimes our struggles are the result of bondage that we need to be delivered from. 
And that means in our Christian journey, the answer isn't just discipleship or just deliverance. It is actually both. And I'm just going to tell you, I've been through both. I've been through both. I've been discipled, and there have been some areas of my life where I've had to be delivered. And maybe if I feel like at some point I can trust you guys, I may share that somewhere in this story. But don't get upset when I tell you, you may have a problem in this area. You should be excited because this is, Jesus came to take care of this problem. In fact, the only people who can't get free from sin and bondage are people who refuse to admit that they're in bondage. But if you'll admit it, as you're going to see in this series, you can be set free. But since a lot of you, you still don't believe me, let's address the question, is it possible for a Christian to be under the influence of a demon? Is that possible? Is it possible for a Christian to be in bondage to sin because of a demon. I want to begin by reading a story that's found in Mark chapter 5. And let me just read the whole story. Uh, if you have your Bible, it'd be great to turn there. If not, we'll, we'll put the verses up on the screen. Mark chapter 5, they, it's Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, okay, it may say evil spirit in your Bible, but these are demons, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, so he lived in the cemetery, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell down, or fell on his knees in front of him. Verse seven, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? By the way, you're going to see just a second. This isn't the man speaking. This is the demon speaking through his voice box. In God's name, don't torture me. Now, Jesus wouldn't torture a man, right? So we know that it's the demon talking. Verse 8. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, remember, he's talking to the demon, not the man. My name is Legion, he replied. Now, just so you know, the word legion, it's a Roman word. It referred to 6,826 soldiers, if you wanted to be specific. So if there were a legion of soldier, 6,826 soldiers. So he says, my name is legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Demonic spirits, they like to stay where they are. They like to stay where they have a stronghold. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons, plural, begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Verse 13, he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, so we can assume there were at least 2,000 demons, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the hometown and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, that's kind of a weird response. You, you would think they would be happy, right? But they're afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally define that word in just a minute. And, told, and they were told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. You would think they would want him to teach seminars or write books or something, right? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, remember, he hadn't been home for a while. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis, which is not a city, it was actually 10 Greek cities, which would explain why the pigs were probably there. 
The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So we here, here we have just one of many examples, and you'll see many throughout this series, many examples of someone who's demon-possessed, but he gets free. But there's just a couple of things I want to point out that we can learn from this story in regards as it relates to those of us who are Christians and demons. Here's the first thing you need to understand. Demons really do exist. They really do exist. The word demon appears in the New Testament 80 to 82 times, depending on your translation. It appears 61 times in the Gospels alone. There are eight writers who wrote the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Paul, Peter, Jude, and the writer of Hebrews. Every one of those writers, except the writer of Hebrews, talks about demons and are Satan, and many of them speak about it at great lengths. Not a one of them leaves out the subject of evil, of supernatural beings, or this whole topic of spiritual warfare. So that should tell you something about the scope of this topic. By the way, let me also say this. One of the reasons that demons are mentioned so often in the Gospels, and if you're new to church, maybe this is your first time after Christmas, whenever we say the Gospels, those are the books in the New Testament that talk about the life and the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason that demons are talked about 61 times in those four books is that because no one had ever had authority over demons until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, he had the authority. And so when he came, he immediately began to confront the problem of demonic strongholds and influences in people's lives. But my point is this, demons really do exist. And I'll just tell you, if you don't believe they exist, you've got to ignore a whole lot of the Bible. Not only that, you've got to ignore a whole lot of the ministry of Jesus. Now, let me just give you some characteristics of demons as described in the Bible, and we'll, we'll unpack these more throughout the series. Here's the first one. Being members of Satan's kingdom, demons are highly organized. They work within a framework of Satan's goals and strategies. They're not just aimlessly floating around out there in the darkness. They are engaged in a definite strategy. I'll say more about that in a minute. But there are seven categories of demons in the Bible. There's a hierarchy. Let me just give them to you. Thrones. Not all thrones, but many times when there's a mention of thrones in the Bible, you have to look at the context, especially in the Old Testament. It's a reference to demons. Lordships, rulers, authorities, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, evil and impure or unclean spirits. And maybe you've read through the Bible and you've read some of those things. You had no idea what they were talking about. They're talking about demons and unclean spirits. All references. It's quite an impressive organization. Second, being angelic creatures Demons have no body. They prefer a body. They're spirits. They prefer a body. That would explain why 2,000, 3,000 demons could be in one man. See, 2,000 demons could fit on the head of a pen. They're spirits. It also explains why in this story, when Jesus cast them out, they wanted to enter into the bodies of the pigs. They prefer a body. By the way, Lars said I shouldn't share this with you, but I'm going to share it anyway. That just proves my point that some of your pets probably are demon-possessed. I'm just saying that because... I've been to some of your houses. I've met a few of your dogs. I'm pretty sure they are. I've met a couple of cats. I'm confident are demon-possessed, right? But demons prefer a body. Third, demons have emotions. James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I believe there's a God. Well, it says right here, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. And notice their response. They shudder. They're petrified of the fact that there is a God because they know how it's going to end up for them. So they have feelings, they have emotions. Being members of Satan's kingdom, 
Demons have an objective. Let me just say as it relates to Christians, is to blind us to the truth of God's word. That's their objective. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four begins, the God of this age, little g God, okay? That's always a reference to Satan's kingdom, his cohorts. The God of this age has blinded the mind. Not the ears, not the eyes, has blinded the mind. You gotta understand, in our lives, that's the real battleground. And I point that out because I think a lot of people believe that the only type of attack that Satan will use is something like you see in a movie or maybe like you saw in the Exodus. We think it has to be bizarre, it has to be hideous, it's gotta be freaky, somebody's gotta be levitating, you know, a head's gotta be spinning around, crazy voice coming out of their voice box. I think most of us, I don't care if you've ever been to seminary or not, you could probably pick up on that. Okay, if somebody's head starts spinning around and they start floating in the air, right away I'm gonna think something's wrong with this whole situation, right? Why would Satan do that? Satan's most successful attack is the attack that draws a Christian away from simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you why it's so important. Satan can read. He may not be omnipresent, he may not be omniscient, he may not know everything, but he can read. And if you can read it, he can read it. And he's read this book and he knows how it all ends. And he knows that his, his eternity is going to be in the lake of fire with everybody who doesn't respond to Jesus Christ as their personal savior. You know what? Misery loves company. And so Satan's like, how many can I take with me? And anything he can do in our lives that gets us away from focusing on what God has called us to do as Christians, which is leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and making disciples so they can go and lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ who can make a disciples. Satan's accomplished about all he can accomplish in our lives. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now you read those words, they may sound meaningless, they may sound simple, but if you study that verse, you will, you will discover one of the most significant warnings in all the Bible concerning spiritual warfare. Paul basically tells us there that he, Satan will use anything he can that will cause our minds to stray from our devotion to Jesus Christ. He will use anything he can to shift our focus to all sorts of things that seem okay, and actually they are okay, until they replace our devotion to Jesus Christ. See, some of you have experienced that. You know from experience how good things, good things, not bad things, good things can cause a shift in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, I cannot tell you, 36 years of ministry, how many young couples I've ran into and said, man, I haven't seen you in a while. Actually, we haven't been in about two or three years. I'm like, why? We had a baby. You had a baby? Yeah, we got a baby and you know, things get out of whack and you get out of the habit. And then we brought him once or twice and he cried in the nursery, to which I wanna say, you, you are a parent, right? You are a parent. You know, we've never killed one of those babies. They'll be okay, well, they'll get over it and we'll even put your red number up on the screen if they need you, right? But three years, and what they were saying was, we let something as precious as a baby pull us away from our devotion to Jesus Christ. I've had them say, you know, Mike, I used to serve. I used to be in a small group. I used to do this and I used to do that. We just kind of got away. See, Satan has accomplished his goal. It can be kids. Your kids, man, they're in soccer. They got to ride horses. They got to do gymnastics. They're on the swim team. And all of a sudden your family's never in church anymore. It could be money. That happens a lot of times. It could be something as silly as a boat or a vacation home. And see, 
Satan accomplishes this by attacking the mind, by having us to believe the mind. It's really not a big deal. It's really okay. It's just a phase we're going through. We'll get back. It's just a season. But see, every moment that we're on the sideline, not doing what God has called us to do for his kingdom, Satan has accomplished his task, right? He's accomplished his goal. He's accomplished his objective is to render us ineffective, is to render us useless. Here's another one. Demons are cunning. In fact, this word demon in the Greek means knowing, intelligent, and clever. You know what that means? It means they want to study you. They want to figure you out. They want to find your weaknesses. They want to discover the bait, the sin that attracts you. And then they want to look for an opportune time to tempt you with that bait, to tempt you with that sin. You can see this in the life of Jesus. Remember, he spent 40 days in the desert. At the end of 40 days, Satan came to tempt him. Satan assumed he's, he's been fasting for 40 days. He must be hungry. So he tempts him with bread and Jesus says no. And then he tempts him with power and fame. But Jesus withstands the temptation. There's a little verse in Luke chapter four, maybe you've never seen before, verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, even Satan realized three strikes are out, right? I'm not getting anywhere for the, with this guy. I'll find a better time. I'll keep studying him. I'll find another weakness. And when I find that weakness, I'll attack. Demons are cunning. They're clever. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The Greek word translated scheme here is methodeia. We get our English word method from it. Satan has a method. The only other time this word is used in the Bible is a couple of chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by, notice how these words go together, the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That phrase, cunning and craftiness, if you have a New American Standard Bible, is translated trickery. My point is this, Satan's method of attack, his scheme, is to deceive us, is to trick us. His desire is to make his plan look attractive, amusing, even appealing, while at the same time making sure that we can't see through what his real intentions are. It's cunning, smart, clever, intelligent. Next, demons are vicious. One of the descriptions that the Bible uses for demons is wolves. It describes them as wolves. This is, this is what one expert says about wolves. When wolves appear most casual and innocent, even interesting to watch, they are studying you. They are sizing you up for attack. See, they're cunning, but notice how they're vicious. The more indifferent they seem, the more serious the danger. They are preparing for the pack attack. The more comfortable they appear, the more deadly they are. The Bible says demons are like wolves. They're cunning but they're also vicious. And like wolves, when they are innocently watching you, they're actually studying your moves, getting down your habits. You ever watch the animal planet? You ever watch anything about wolves? I love all the Alaska shows. They always have wolves in the Alaska shows. You know what they go after? They go after the weak. They go after the isolated. They go after the damaged. And when wolves attack, and let's use the analogy of the sheep, since that's what the Bible refers to us as Christians, as sheep. When they attack the sheep, Understand, they attack the sheep on the fringe. They attack the sheep that are weak, that are isolated, and they're vicious. 
They never take a day off. They don't care how bad your years. They don't care how bad your life is. They don't care if you've lost a child. They don't care if you've lost your marriage. You, they don't care if you've lost your job all on the same day. They show no mercy whatsoever. In fact, this is what it says in Daniel 7, 25. He shall wear out the saints of the most high. That's us. That's his goal. That's his objective. He is vicious. By the way, let me just give you some advice as we go through this series. Think of our church. Think of your small group. Think of it as a sheepfold. And we're sheep. And the wolf's trying to get in. I'll say a little bit more about that in just a second in John chapter 10. If I were you, I'm just being honest with you. If I were you, I would not be on the fringe of the sheepfold. I would not be on the fringe of the flock. I wouldn't be sitting on the outskirts of the church. I wouldn't be isolated and see, I'm just sorry, but that's the realm that some of you live in. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of you, church is just a convenient when there's nothing else going on. If the weather's not nice, if there's no 5K run this weekend I want to participate in, if there's no Kentucky Derby party, if there's no good game on TV that I don't want to watch, if the weather's horrible, you know what? We might as well go to church. It's free childcare, right? So you show up at church. But let me tell you something. This is what I know about church. January and February, the people come to church. You know why? The weather's so dang bad. There's nothing else to do. Might as well go to church. But this is what happens. And I know this. Come March and the time changes. And the days get longer. And the weather gets warmer. And the snow melts so you can get to your mountain cabin. Or it's time to open up the beach house. Or your kids start soccer back. And all of a sudden, church is just a convenience. If it works out, I'll get there. But it's not a big deal if I don't go. Let me tell you something. If you're on the fringe, I recommend you move to the center of the flock. If I were you, I'd be going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I mean, I would, I would want to get right in the middle of the sheepfold. You ought to be involved, connected, attending, being in a small group. You should be serving because that's where you're going to be the safest. Demons really do exist. They're like wolves. They're vicious. They're looking for those who are easy picking. That's where they're going to start. Second. Demons really do enter people. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse one. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. This is what Jesus was saying. Sheep, the thief can get in. He can't get in through me, but he'll find another way to get in. He's gonna do everything he can to get to the sheep. Verse 10, the thief comes only, literally it says, does not come except. The thief does not come except to kill and steal and destroy. This is what Jesus is saying. Every time Satan shows up, he wants to steal from you, he wants to kill you, or he wants to destroy you. The language that Jesus uses is very, very emphatic. So here's the question that everybody's wondering about. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? But if I'm going to explain that, I have to, I, I have to explain the term. First of all, there's no such word in the original manuscripts. There were manuscripts that were found that were translated into what we have as the Bible. There is no word in the original manuscript that's translated this term demon-possessed. I think this is probably the best that the translators could do with the term. Literally, the word is demonized. It comes from two words, demoni, which is demon, zoni, to possess. But to understand this idea of demon possession or demonize, really, you got to understand what the word possessed means. And there are two words in the Greek for possession. One is ownership. This is not the word for ownership. This is the word zonai. It means to gain mastery over. A synonym would be to gain control over, to have power over. Here's a definition I came across for demonized. To be under the power or mastery or control of a demon in an area of your life. 
You see an example of this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then they brought him, Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. That doesn't mean that everybody that has those infirmities it's a demon. It means in this case, it was being caused by a demon. So here we have a man who was under the controlling power of a demon. Jesus knew that. And as a result, the demons had caused this condition of being mute, being sightless. But notice when the demons were cast out, the infirmities left with him. The demon lost the ability to control those areas of this man's life. So let's get back to the question. Can a Christian be owned by a demon? Well, the answer is no, you're owned by God. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're owned by God. But can a Christian be under the control of a demon in certain areas of their life? And the answer is yes. And I'll say more about this next week. We'll really get into it. But don't think of it in terms of a person being possessed by a demon. Think of it more in terms of a person possessing a demon. For example, do you have an area of your life that you just cannot get it together? You just cannot get it under control. You just cannot get victory over that area of your life. Or maybe there's an area of your life where you feel helpless or you just feel powerless. Or maybe there's a sin that you've just confessed over and over and over and over again. You've gone to God and you said, God, I'm never going to do it again, but you keep doing it over and over and over and over again. This would be my advice to you. Wake up. You may very well be under the controlling power or the influence of a demon in that area of your life. You got to quit hiding behind this excuse. It's just a weakness. Or I come from a long line of liars. Or I come from a long line of adulterers. Listen, you've been struggling with it for 20, 25, 30 years. I'm telling you, it is not a weakness. You got a problem. Let me give you an example. A few years ago when I lived in California, I called my parents one night. And they had just gotten home from church and I could tell their voice was shaking. I said, Mom, what's going on? She said, when we unlocked the door and walked in, there was a thief in our house. Now, this they, we lived in kind of in the mean streets of Durham. And I'm like, Mom, you got to get out of there. You got to move. But there was a thief in their house. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the thief own their house? No. But the thief was in their house and the thief had control over their house until they ran the thief out. But I'm telling you, if they would have allowed the thief to stay in the house, he would steal, he would kill, he would destroy. I'm telling you, in the very same way, and I'm not trying to freak you out, remember, Jesus came to deal with this problem. Some of you have a thief in your house, see? Some of you have a thief in your life, and he's gonna have the control over your life until you drive him out. But as long as he stays put, he's gonna steal, he's gonna kill, He's going to destroy. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about different ways that as Christians, we open the door to the enemy in our lives. And, you know, I, I, we, obviously we're going to say seances, playing with Ouija boards, open to the occult, all of those things. We know those things. But you know what? There's some things that we do on a regular basis, and I'm going to show you from Scripture, where we open the door. How about anger that you've never processed? Paul said, don't give Satan a foothold. What do you think he's talking about, people? There are things that we do we don't even think about where we open the door, the door's open, and I promise you, he will come in. And he's not gonna own you, but he will be in. And you will be under his influence and his power until you get him out and you close the door. And some of you are getting a little anxious and nervous, maybe even depressed. You don't need to be. Demons really do exist. They do enter and control people. But third, 
Jesus really does cast out demons. Jesus can take care of a demon. Let me show you something in the story that will encourage you. Mark chapter five, verse six. Remember this guy? He's got thousands of demons, naked. They can't chain him, living in a cemetery. I think if we ran into him, we'd say, yeah, he might, be, he might have a problem in this area, right? Look what it says. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. This is what I want to leave you with. Satan does not have the power to keep you as a Christian from finding refuge in Jesus. Let me say that again. Satan does not have the power as a Christian to keep you from finding refuge in Jesus. Hey, let me tell you, if Satan could have stopped anybody from going to Jesus, I think it probably would have been this guy. Listen, if you have a sin in your life you can't break, you, you may very well be in bondage in that area. You may be under the controlling influence of a demon, but let me tell you something, Jesus can set you free. I don't care how vicious they are, they're vicious, but they are no match for Jesus. Do you remember what we sang just a little earlier, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus? There was one line in there, nothing can stand against him. I love it in Revelation 20, Jesus is getting ready to lock Satan up in a pit for a thousand years, and it says he just gives the keys to an angel. Doesn't say it's Gabriel, doesn't say it's Michael, Jesus doesn't feel the necessity to go take care of Satan himself. I think he was like, just send the new guy. You know, it didn't matter. As long as he goes in my name. And that's what we're gonna learn in this series. Next week, we're gonna address the question, can a Christian unknowingly give permission for demonic influence in their life? Is it possible that you've opened a door and you don't even realize you opened the door? We're also gonna talk about, is it possible that sometimes God allows a demon to have influence in the life of a Christian? And if so, what's his purpose? And you're gonna see examples in scriptures right now where you're gonna see that that is the case. But you gotta figure out what God would allow that. So that's what we're gonna be talking about. Let me just say this. We talked earlier about the classes. As you're leaving, I would encourage you, go by and there's a class right down here under care. It's called Living Free. It would be great if every person who attends Hope Community Church this year went through the Living Free class. Because I guarantee you there's some areas in your life where you're not free. So let's get on the offensive right now. Let's not always be on the defensive. Let's get on the offensive. If you feel like there might be an issue of your life already in the spiritual warfare, you contact the office. We have a great group of people who have been trained in a ministry that we have restored. We're going to be saying more about how you can get delivered and out of these, get these demons out of your life, what Jesus can do for you. But you know what? We need to talk about this. Because I think this is one of the reasons that the church of Jesus Christ in the world today is in a mess. I heard a statistic this week. Get this now. 17% of Christians who identify themselves as committed Christians, 17, only 17% attend church three out of eight weekends. Do you know why? Satan's blinded us. He's blinded us. He's rendered us useless and ineffective. And we need, to, we need to take back the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to do in this series. Are you with me? Okay, we'll see you next week then. Let's pray. Father, you're awesome. We thank you for what we're going to learn and where you're going to take. We don't have anything. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Satan knows his destiny. He's doomed. It's just a matter of time. And Father, in your name, in your name, that's all we need to deal with Satan and his cohorts. So help us to find freedom and encouragement in this series. Not to be depressed, not to feel anxious,
but to know in Jesus' name, nothing can stand against you. In your name we pray, amen.